Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. 
That's shopify.com slash special offer. Tom, favorite mushroom. Ooh, in the non-psychedelic category, I'm going to go with something that wasn't on this episode, morel mushrooms. I love the waffly texture that soaks up all of the butter and the whatever you're putting in the saute pan. I love morel mushrooms. Uh, morel mushrooms are very nice. Enokis for me. But the truth is, is that if you are going to have psilocybin mushrooms, do not do them on Saturday night in Tokyo in Shinjuku. Really bad idea. <laughs> Writing that down. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, this is how great 2000, the year 2000 was. There was no social media, but you could walk into a record store in Tokyo and have psychotropic mushrooms just for sale in a jar, in a big glass jar on the counter. That sounds lovely. I also want to go to Tokyo. I haven't been there yet, but big fan of mushrooms, psychedelic or not. I was excited to see Tom on the quick fire in this one, doing the mushrooms. There's a lot to get into on this episode, but I was very excited about oh. mushrooms being a big feature. And mushrooms were the – we'll start with the sort of the quick fire. Uh, you and I are both fans. I, I didn't realize mushrooms were as polarizing as they were. Like until you get older and people just are disgusted by the idea of eating fungus. You and I, though, are, are huge fans. It's like first thing I'll look for in addition and accompaniment. Freaking love them. Why do we love it? Like I guess it's um it's a flavor thing, of course. But I also like how it just soaks up a lot of the the buttery um the the oil or whatever. It just kind of is a very. I, I like the texture of it. Some people are put off by the chewiness or the rubberiness of a of a of a mushroom, but maybe it's just not cooked properly. But like pizza, I'm always getting mushrooms on pizza. Oh, so the United Airlines site continues 20 years in to tell me it doesn't recognize me so they have this ridiculous like what what was your least favorite subject in school and then the other one is what is your favorite pizza topping <laughs> and in 20 years ago i must have selected mushrooms. it's like i am reminded that mushroom is my favorite pizza topping like every time i log on to this website because it, it will continue to ask me but um this is great uh mushroom i'm i really like this episode as you did tom you know i i, I like I'm not – I appreciate the restrained and confined challenges where you have to cook underwater. But I also love like here are some weird ingredients, but then go do your thing. And, and I thought the elimination challenge was one of my favorites of the season. Uh, but what, you want to start with quick fire? Yeah, so quick fire. We get a fantastic Tom Colicchio dad joke right off the top. Well, I guess technically it's Padma saying, don't worry. He's a fun guy. And here comes Tom Colicchio in there. So a great mushroom joke, which actually Kawhi Leonard this week, the Clippers did a social media video of Kawhi Leonard using the same kind of joke. Why did the mushroom go to the party? Because he's a fun guy. And Kawhi Leonard do- delivering the joke, and it was brilliant. So shout out to Charlie. Clearly a creation of Kawhi's as well. Yes, yes. So... A lot of fun guy jokes coming into the coming into the the uh, the, the world of Kevin Arnovitz and Tom Haberstroh here, but it was um, yeah, it the the quick fire was essentially here are seven different types of mushrooms foraged here locally in in Oregon and go do your thing. And there was um there was a big rush to the table and no morels, but plenty of really interesting mushrooms, Kevin. So I was actually it was funny. I I love. The challenge, I was very disappointed in a, in a lot of the, the dishes. Like, so big pet peeve, like you and I love mushrooms. And, and, and by the way, you and I both love fried food. I don't give a shit, Tom, about a fried mushroom. 
Like you lose most of what's yummy and earthy about mushrooms and you fry them. Like the best fried mushroom doesn't stand up to a good sauteed mushroom over toast. Or, um, and, and the great thing is, is like for a quick fire, mushrooms don't take that long to roast. Like this isn't one of those quick fire ingredients where you have to find a shortcut because, you know, the panna cotta won't set in time. Um, but like fried mushrooms is something out of TGI Fridays, Tom. Like my dad in the early 80s came home one day with it was it was it was the it was the sous vide of its time it was a fry daddy and a fry daddy was like a home deep fryer and what you would do is you would go to like the the, the costco sam's club before there was costco sam's club and get these enormous industrial sized bags of hard frozen like zucchini sticks mozzarella sticks like mushrooms and you would dump them in this fry daddy like probably risk the destruction of your house because they're extremely dangerous tools and like my father would stink up the kitchen and what would result was like the coolest thing ever you could have fried mozzarella sticks for fried mushrooms in your home and they were terrible like it was the worst kind of just like industrial fried food and that's kind of how i feel about a fried mushroom like why do you want to fry a mushroom yeah see i'm a big fan of like the shake shack stack burger when you get the shake shack uh patty beef patty and then you get the fried mushroom on top but i'm not going for like a fried mushroom burger right so like when i saw your your two chefs here going with uh, kind of like a uh, well i guess sarah with a schnitzel and avashar they're four fried out of 10, there are four fried mushrooms. I'm with you. Not a fan of that, but I, I did appreciate the, the Shack Stack burger at, at Shake Shack. But I did think, like, let's get some more saute out here. And Sarah with the, the chicken and wood schnitzel, I believe maybe I caught Kevin. Did you see some yogurt on there on that dish? I think she added some yogurt there. On her maitake schnitzel? No, I, I did not see. Did she have some yogurt? It's something. It was almost like a ranch thing on top of it. Oh, that's right. That's right. She was doing that, like choosing a yogurt-based dress. Yeah, so she is, she is the... She is the yogurt queen. Yes. Gabriel put together a beautiful dish, right? Like the foie gras with the chanterelles and oysters. You get a little fig there, offsets the earthiness and the sort of uh, the foie. That, that was a good – I love Dawn's dish. You know, she did uh, wood-fired roasted mushrooms. Yeah, tarragon mascarpone and a chili bean wrap. By the way, I, I'm just I'm, – this is – Dawn is like – Dawn is my contestant. I am rooting so hard for Dawn. She continues to put – out good dish after good dish Tom. she does and i was a little worried about her time management here or at least some some roadblocks that were thrown her way where she she couldn't get her stuff in the wood fire grill um or the, the oven and so i thought oh no we're gonna have another time clock management issue here um where she's just not gonna get her stuff on the plate but dawn comes through in the clutch um the olympian just in the competition has kind of like a muscle she's sort of sort of tore that those muscle fibers early on and now she's gotten stronger in the competition um i want to touch on gabriel for a second because you know he was really excited about getting the mushroom uh the mushroom quick fire here but he did something that really bothered me which tends to happen with gabriel on the show but the whole sarah going up to sarah and asking hey can i throw my stuff in your fryer and she says, no, actually, I, I kind of just want this to myself for now. And he goes, no, I kind of really need to. And then he just like tosses his food in there. Kevin, that was a dick move. Oh, I mean, it, it was totally inappropriate. Right. And I, I would want to know from a chef, because again, I, I've never shared a deep fryer with another chef making another thing. Does it like completely 
contaminate your dish is my question. I mean, obviously, if Sarah was like, nah, I don't want that. Please wait. Um, and Gabriel just did it anyway. And then he wins the challenge. He wins the $10,000 while he was committing some of these crimes in the kitchen. Or maybe it's not a crime, like you said. Maybe it doesn't really impact it all that much. But um, I thought that was a little bit of a, a foul there. I mean, I think it goes back to – and going back to Dawn, I, I, on a certain level though, sharp elbows are sharp elbows. Like this is a cooking competition. Well – yeah, I, I don't like poor sportsmanship at the end of the day. It's a competition. If your job is to sort of wear down a fellow contestant to the point where they're shamed into offering you part of the fryer and your job is to get your food on the plate. Like Dawn is, you know, for someone really competitive, she's very deferential. She's very polite and she's not going to press the issue. And uh, there's going to be yet another time, though, she is going to need to press the issue at some point. Chicken of the woods. Hen of the woods. Hen of the woods. Hen of the woods. So I mow my lawn from time to time. And sometimes when we have like the sprinkler out, it gets some moisture from the drippage from the from the from the sprinkler. And if I don't tend to my lawn for a while, I'll get like this giant hen of the woods mushroom in my front yard. Nice. Which is kind of like, oh, this is pretty cool. I don't know if I should cook it. And I and I'm kind of weird about this. I haven't really gone into the foraging of mushrooms or hunting for mushrooms phase of my life. Kevin, have you ever been in that phase where you go into the woods and you like go forage for your own mushrooms? No, I would love to forage for mushrooms. I would like someone to take me to forage for mushrooms. I don't I mean, I think you have to get pretty far up in the Sierras or, or kind of up uh, in, in Los Angeles. You know, I don't think there are really mushrooms in, in yeah. the desert. But um, my takis, I think, which I think are the same thing as Hen of the Woods. I'm not entirely sure, but I, um, I'd love to go foraging for mushrooms. But yeah, you're right. Like you could get poisoned. You don't know. I don't, yeah, I, I don't want to screw this up. There's a there's a high a high risk factor here of, of beginners. No, no, one person's appetizers, another person's fatality. So you got to be careful. Right, right. So Hen of the Woods featured a lot in this lobster mushrooms. I, I generally don't mind the whole like. Uh, the, the little constraint here with with the height of the stump, Kevin. I want to talk a little bit about these stumps here. They're a little gimmicky. Hey, it's Stumptown, USA, uh, Portland. So we're going to incorporate some stumps into the competition. I guess the earthiness of mushrooms, it brings in, ties in that kind of motif as well. But when you're talking about Nelson and he has an injury, okay? He hurt his knee in the orchard run. If you're Nelson, do you go? Do you claim your stump first because you're dealing with a, a an impairment in your knee, or do you go for the mushroom first? I mean, you're I'm putting you in Nelson's shoes. Are you claiming the stump first, or are you getting the ingredient first? I mean, I think if there's a real disparity in the size and height and heights of those stumps, you got to go there. If there's an, only a negligible disparity, just go get what you want. But yeah, I feel for him. This is the second Top Chef in a row where we've had a contestant being impaired or, or held back considerably by bodily injury. Like this is a thing. He is not a hundred percent Tom as, as in the parlance of sports. Yes. He's not, he's not playing at a hundred percent, but at this point in the competition, Kevin, no one's a hundred percent, right? Right. No, no, it's a hundred percent. He is, he is resting on back to backs. Uh, that would be <laughs> load management. So Nelson's in the bottom. He had an injury he was dealing with. He did the saute crab that got just completely swamped any sort of the, uh, oyster mushrooms in there. Um, uh, then, the, then you had Chris who was 
operating on his knees, doing cutting some of his some of his vegetables on his knees, and so maybe this was also a physical impairment. And um, although I think Shota is pretty sh- pretty short, he's not he's not a tall figure. So the fact that he didn't finish in the top three might might actually negate my theory that that uh, this was a, a, as much of a physical challenge as it was a, a cooking challenge. I was happy with the three winners just because I I like their dish, I like their concepts the best. They didn't go with fried. Um, Gabe's Chanterel. I, I, by the way, I have come to really, as someone who kind of gave up red meat and have fewer options on the taco menu these days, there are a couple places in Los Angeles that do just a, a damn good mushroom taco. And mushroom can be meaty, right? Like it is the texture you want in a taco. Um, and so I'm, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm all in on the Chanterelle mushroom taco. Uh, and of course, Gabe, you notice Gabe's little, like, his little signature now is I can make tortillas out of anything. <laughs> and it's a great party trick and it's it's serving him very well in this competition the i can make tortillas um it, it's uh it, it's a cool thing so i was very happy with that dawn with her uh roasted mushrooms of the, the tarragon mascarpone and chili vinaigrette she is somebody who knows how to assemble sort of flavors together um a little sweet a little spicy you've got the natural umami from the mushrooms Dawn is putting out great food, and and Gabriel just gives us a dish that we all love. I mean, foie with a little fig and a little chanterelles is just a perfect dish, um, something I would order immediately uh, upon sitting down and seeing that menu. Yeah, Gabriel comes through, wins the the challenge, and does not get immunity, as he reminds us 17 times on this episode. Kevin, elimination challenge, this is a big one. A double elimination challenge. Gabriel comes in terif- terrified because of the fact that even though he finally wins that quick fire, he does not get that 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 save for the elimination challenge, and he's going to be on the chopping block potentially. And here we go with a surf and turf, Kevin. They're obscure surfs and obscure turfs, right? We're talking about game meat, so this is not like steak and lobster. This is you got some milk, you got some rabbit, you got some venison and antelope and bison. Uh, and the and the fish are sort of native also to uh, Pacific Northwest. So you've got like you know steelhead trout. You've got a, I believe that's a freshwater fish. So these are sort of um, fish that are they're indigenous to the region. Um, they are paying homage to many of the tribes that occupy uh, the Multnomah region, the Willamette Valley. The Chinook tribe has a huge presence in the Pacific Northwest, um, and these are sort of the really the guardians of these indigenous items. So that's sort of the theme. Um, of the uh, of the show, and, and I think Top Chef has always done these things very well. Like we saw it with the a- African diaspora. I, I think the show is sneaky good at being educational without being maudlin, without being sort of oh okay, yeah, here, here you're checking a box. Like I, I think Top Chef does this particularly well, Tom. They do, and I, I love the the little backstory of the fishing and and how they they do that with the Cascade Locks and the river, the Columbia River, and how long they've been. I just love the whole story, the narrative of my grandfather um, was was fishing on these same waters here, and you kind of you get a sense of the history and the um, just that when you're cooking food, there's so much more depth to the to the food that you're eating or to the to the ingredient that you're eating um, than just oh here's something on a plate. So I, I thought this was a really nice episode, um, particularly because. Uh, I love the characters here. Um, when they when they met the women of the of the of the tribe here, they were mixing it up with the chefs just as much as as, as Padma and Tom were. I thought it was great. Um, and 
you know, there is a certain delicacy when you're when you're dealing with a, a, a subject like this, when you're um, cooking for these people, you want to kind of honor their food or honor their native ingredients that they have. They are like a was it a duck potato that they were cooking with that I don't I don't think I've ever heard of before. And it has that unique flavor and you want to honor those flavors uh, in their presence. So I thought they did an amazing episode of kind of giving that educational, that historical aspect um, of the Warm Spring Reservation. And I think when you look at this episode, though, you got to point also to the pairing up. And there was a moment in the pairing up. Kevin, we love this. You love you some pairing up, man. Yes. The pairing up, the whole play guard, backyard, picking teams aspect of it. We always analyze this on the show. And we had an amazing moment here, Kevin, of Shoda is standing there next to Gabriel. And Gabriel clings his knife next to Gabriel's knife. I mean, sorry, Gabriel clings Shoda's knife being like, hey, let's – Let's pair up here. And Shota blocks him. He Dikembe Mutombos, uh, wags his finger at Gabriel and says, nah, uh, I actually want to work with Smelt. And he looks over at Sarah and just Gabriel is left there and like, oh my God, did I just got totally curved by, by Shota. And there he goes. Shota teams up with Sarah and creates this jugger- juggernaut pairing that Kevin – you must have been just jumping out of your shoes when you saw that Shota and, and Sarah were paired up. Right. I mean, I thought the four best chefs in the competition were on two teams, uh, Dawn and Gabe being the other one. And yeah, I mean, look, I, one of the things I like about situations like this is it, it, there's a little karmic retribution and you're at the risk of being petty. It's one of the reasons you don't become insufferable uh, over the course of several weeks is that at some point you're going to be put in a position where – you know, you're either a buyer and seller on the on the square dancing market, right? And either you want to be people want to grab you or they want to repel you, and people wanted to repel Gabriel, and so you know, as a result, he, he's he's working with one of the weaker chefs and Nelson, um, both is you know, literally because is Nelson is is suffering from this injury. Um, yeah, I know you love some one you love some picking teams. One thing I also like about this is one of my complaints sometimes about the double elimination or team challenge is it's not really a team. It just so happens, you know, like the other night with a, with a, with a drive through, right? Like how Avishar made his dish had little bearing on his teammates. They didn't have much influence in his dish. And to the extent that he was going to succeed or fail, you know, it didn't inform what they were doing. What I love about this challenge is they're doing one dish. So it is truly collaborative. Even if you chose the game and the other person picked the fish, like you're going to have to work together. It is one plate. And so it was, I like team challenges that are truly team challenges, not Okay, you have this color apron on, and and even though you have absolutely nothing to do, you'll never touch an, a component on the other of your teammate's plate. So that was cool. Um, the only downside I would say of this challenge is, and, and, and is that because it was a meal that it was that was intended to honor a tradition, to respect the sustenance of the earth's gifts and the guardians, you know, who provide for it. Um, these ancient indigenous tribes is the judges couldn't really be flipper caddy, Tom. You can't say. That elk died in vain, you know, because, <laughs> you know, because, because look, it's a respect. It, no, it's, it's a sacred thing. You know, it's a, it's yeah. literally a sacred thing. And I, and I have immense respect for that. I mean, um, I mean, it's one of the reasons you love food. It's not just to devour it. It, it, it sort of connects you with, you know, with place, with the earth, the thing, the themes that they con- consistently uh, go back to on this show. But you, it also means you can't, you know, Richard Blaze is not coming in there with some zinger, you know, because like it's just inappropriate. Uh, and rightly so. But, you know, you lose a little bit of that. You do. You do. I hadn't considered that aspect of it. 
but you're right is that uh you lose a little bit more of the fun and it's just a little bit more uh a little more precious what we're what we're watching here at the same time i mean and i just i I know you've been there and i've been there I, i just i never get tired of looking at like the mouth of the columbia river and that might not have the mouth. The mouth is over, I think, in Astoria, like, you know, on the, on the Washington, Oregon border. But if you ever go there, it is and it, the way that the, the sort of the, the clouds are low um, o- over the hills. It is just if anyone could ever like drive the highway out from Portland along the Columbia all the way to you know, essentially the, the, the ocean side of Oregon, um, the coast of Oregon. It is is honestly is beautiful. hundred miles Um as you will see, it's just unbelievable. I love those visuals, Tom. Yes, a beautiful scene and uh, a little bit chilly. It looked like really chilly. Oh, yeah. They were like covered in blankets, and they were. It was. It, it, that's Portland, though. Speaking of these bigger questions or the scene here, Mays puts a question in the chat. Oh, Kevin, he says, "Does Chop Chef have a super team problem? <laughs> what about the small market chefs? The small market chefs. Who are the small? I mean, so so Maria's from Tucson, which is a smaller market." Byron's in Aspen, which is a small market, but it's kind of one of those small destination markets. Yeah, because you got all those big city people. If Jackson Hole was in the NBA, that would be that would be Byron. Yes, yeah, small market. Exactly. Oakland. I mean, with with Nelson, I don't know about Oakland, but no, Oakland's a, is a big market. Even though, I mean, in baseball, it's a small market, right? But in basketball, it was kind of a big market, right? But this is this is kind of the you know, if you win, sorry, you're going to have advantages, right? So Shoda. By virtue of winning so much and doing a good job in the competition, like tough shit, he's going to be able to pick his his partner a little bit better than than Gabriel. He, he doesn't have the leverage in these in these sort of things. And as you said earlier, I don't I don't cry for K- Gabriel here because you know you reap what you sow, you know. And so I'm I'm cool with Shota and Sarah building super teams together because I think you know what they fucking earned it. Yeah. And I, and I don't problem with that, but I I'm with you and I've, I've always appreciated your love of the social dynamics at work. Anytime, you know, you got to go grab a partner. Um, let's talk about some of the dishes. I thought there was so much fun kind of culinary strategizing in this, in this, uh, in this particular challenge, you know, the Byron Maria collaboration was really interesting. They each individually, I think had really good instincts and it turned out Maria's was much better than Byron's on the mole and, and might've gotten them in the top. Uh, but you want to go dish by dish? Why don't we start there, Tom? Why don't we start with Byron and Maria? Really interesting team. They essentially came in third out of five in a very strong field. Uh, all these dishes were good to very good to great. Maria, middle Maria, finishing third out of five. She, middle that's, Maria. That's what she does. They had salmon and elk. And can I just say also, much respect to Byron on many respects. I have never smoked a salmon, even though I love nothing more in this world than lox and nova and salmon. And like, I've always been amazed at those people who can like, like, like he's working with an igloo cooler and some tubes. It's like, remember those kids in college who could make a bong out of a throw pillow? The MacGyver smoker is a very handy guy to have around, especially when it comes to reefer. Hey man, we're out of papers. All right, then get me a toilet paper roll, a corkscrew and some tinfoil. We don't have a corkscrew. All right, then get me an avocado, an ice pick, and my snorkel. Trust me, bro, I've made bombs with less. Hurry up. Like he's creating a hot, cold smoker out of a tailgate cooler. Like, this guy's amazing. It's why I always say I'm so amazed at these people. Like, I can't do that. Like, that's amazing. It was totally glossed over, Tom. 
It was. And I, I don't think I noted it until you just did right now. I, I didn't know that he had basically created an oven. A smoker. A smoker here out of out of bubble gum and shoelaces. Yes. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. And and another thing is I noticed when Marie and Byron were in the car discussing their strategy here, they kind of came out with the, the whole edict about, hey, be completely transparent here. You know, I'm not going to get my hurt, my, my feelings hurt if you say, no, that's a shit idea, Maria. Like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, let's get, like, be completely honest. And they said, we're going to be completely honest. And that all sounds great until you want to get more green Malay in there. And then it's like, all right, we got to compromise, I guess. And Maria um, doesn't get to put as much green Malay as she, she wanted into the dish. And it comes back to bite them. They weren't in the top two, but I think they were good enough that they were out of that chopping block on the chopping table with uh with the judges here so i thought it was a good dish and i think what's difficult about this challenge kevin is there's not a lot of connective tissue between these these ingredients right so the 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 meat the protein and then uh or or i guess you say that the game and then the fish um it, it seemed like the cohesiveness would be the cohesion of these these ingredients would be an issue and uh hello listener guess who's back It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher-turned-podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at what did you think about that? Because it's a lot of these dishes felt like they were forcing the the 
there, there didn't seem to be a lot of intermediary that blended those two ingredients together. So Marie and Byron, I don't know if they had that problem um, with their duck potato puree and the smoked salmon, but it did did strike me that it seemed like there were two dishes on a plate that they had to kind of merge into one dish. Yeah, and I think in some ways, if you look at the standings from this episode, you're absolutely right. The connective tissue factor, you know, your ability to provide that connectivity was directly proportional to your success, right? Like in Sarah and Shoda's case, and we'll get to it in a second, they literally connected the two things. I mean, you know, the two ingredients. In Dawn and Gabe's case, they came in a strong second, like they had a pumpkin seed mole that was truly connective, right? Um, Byron and Maria had the opportunity with their mole, but, you know, Byron was a little bit reticent with it and didn't want to kind of have it out there. Uh, Chris and Avishar at least thought they were creating connective tissue with mushroom. It just didn't really connect. And then in Gabriel Nelson, it has zero connective tissue. In fact, if you go one through five, there the, the it wasn't even so much how the protein was cooked, though certainly in, in, in the loser's case it was. It was, did to what extent were you able to connect these things? Did you at least conceive of connecting them? Did you execute the connection? And did you just kind of blow it out of the park, connect it the way Shota and Sarah did? So I, I think you're absolutely right. That was the decisive variable in the success or failure of these dishes. Let's go to Sarah and Shota yeah. because you mentioned them um, about how they managed to merge the two ingredients here um, in such a flawless way. Um, before we get into the actual food, I'd love Kevin, uh, Shota and Sarah show. Oh, yeah. I would love to watch that show. Just them two paired up doing whatever. You know, it's funny, too, because there's so much revealing stuff that comes out of this. Like when Sarah said, hey, I like to be organized and apparently Shota is a far more improvisational chef than I imagined because I have these certain stereotypes about Japanese cooking and its precision and the fact that, you know, everything. And and it turns out that he actually, he's just a mad scientist, right? That he's like, Sarah's like, no, I like to be organized where he's just like, Hey, let's just go. But if I can just, Tom, I I know I'm often effusive and hyperbolic on this show. They're playing a different game. If you had given me a thousand guesses at what you would do, to combine smelt and rabbit. I don't think smoking the smelt and then using it as a crust for the game would have even been on the top 1,000. Like, the this is, you don't see this every day, Tom. This is why, I, I'm glad showed his back too, because I just feel like he'd been slipping into the relatively prosaic middle of the road of this competition in the last couple of weeks. I've been wholly unimpressed and disappointed. And this was like sort of a reminder. Like he came out and just bawled. Yeah, I mean the the doing a smelt five ways. Like it's such a small thing, like a small like ingredient, and yet they were able to just be so imaginative with it and do it. In, this isn't like Kevin. This isn't like they had months to think about this, right? Like this is they they conceived of this dish in like half a second and then went and executed it a couple hours later is beyond me. The fact that this dish, I mean, I'm sure this dish they could put on a menu at one of their restaurants and it would be a, a top seller. Um, rabbit with with the with the smelt like five different ways. It just is bonkers that they're able to do this. Like when you when you watch Chopped, right? They have these three disparate, very disparate ingredients. Like rabbit and smelt is exactly the same thing. And yet they put they put together something that was just magical. So everything was on display here. The the, the fact that they were great teammates, even though they had differing styles, like Sarah was willing to vocalize the fact that she was getting a little annoyed by how messy he was and disorganized. And yet they overcame that 
personality differences in the kitchen and they were able to just produce such a such a masterpiece yeah i'm dying to know like how the smokes i mean did it operate like did the smoke smelt encrusting like was that like bonito flakes is that what you would have done normally I, i'm dying to know well kevin how it worked uh, does he have a video up on this one I'm sure he will because he's been doing this all throughout the season. Oh, I know. I've been watching him. Yeah, posting on his Instagram um, of how he does some of these. From, he's he's just figured out the whole Top Chef game. By the way, I did the whole duck uh, squash puree pickled shallot nuts dish from the second week when he did the soy braise. I ended up going back to my normal method because it was just better for me. But I have been making that plate weekly now. Um, and remember I told Malarkey, like I'm still working on the puree and Malarkey's note, by the way, was brilliant, which is I wasn't allowing, like once I drain the squash, I wasn't allowing it to kind of sit, let the moisture really get out of there. I was, you know, I'm always in a hurry. So I was like throwing it right into the Cuisinart stupid. So, uh, Malarkey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My purees are much prettier now. Um, they're not that, that French is mustard pretty though. Like I want to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think. If people are looking for that like next level following Top Chef, thank you for listening to this podcast, first of all. But secondly, you can follow all these chefs and Chef Shoda at Chef Shoda on um, on Instagram. He does amazing uh, little demos here on some of the dishes they did. I can't wait to see what he's going to do for this uh, for this rabbit and smelt dish that just knocked it out of the park. Let's move to uh, Gabe and Don. So they, like you said, the top four contestants on this show all team up with Gabe and Don, and it's bison and catfish, Kevin. Bison and catfish. I have only eaten catfish one way, just like Gabe mentioned, just a fried catfish. They're going to do a little play on kind of, a, a, you know, like the unagi catfish where uh, it's kind of like eel um, when you have sushi – so what did you think of that conception when it happened, when Gabe was explaining how he was going to do catfish? Did you say to yourself, you can't do catfish that way. It's not going to work. No. I mean, one, again, one of the things I really liked about this week's challenge was it rewarded ambition. And I love what he said, which is – and by the way, we, we all love – I love fried catfish. Fact is, fried catfish is amazing. Um, but like doing it non-fried, I mean basically saying you're going to grill it. And you know, as we'll talk about later, grilling fish comes with great hazards. Um Interestingly enough, I make one catfish dish here, and uh, it's not fried catfish. It's my Vietnamese catfish. But so um, catfish can be great non-fried. But I just thought Gabe's ambition was rewarded here. Let's talk about Dawn and the bison too. When that bison was cut that thick, that tenderloin, I was terrified because like you can't – if that meat – wasn't executed perfectly if it were chewy i mean you know when you have a thick cut of meat and it's not cooked well you can't hide it i was terrified i was like oh my god it might be too rare i mean how do you know she's never cooked bison you know pork tenderloin you kind of know what to do it's pretty much a it's easy peasy but bison who knows it's not very fatty so it's very much less forgiving and it's even less fatty because it's the tenderloin like she nailed it they nailed their proteins they didn't screw around with a lot of other stuff let's do the pumpkin sea mole that is our connective tissue but like it was just it was ballsy both for its ambition but also because they didn't have a lot else to go to it's like we're going to execute these two proteins and then we have the sauce and that's it yeah and i wasn't surprised that they were in the top top two here in the in the in the competition i i, I love don's sometimes 
less is more. Mm-hmm. Like when you when you have a big thing of meat, um, sometimes you want to do your own spin and maybe cook it a certain way that's going to you know feature some element of that big uh, chunk of meat. But you know what? She cooks it perfectly. Um, I'm someone who like when they order a bison burger at a restaurant, I don't really taste the difference. Like I'm not so sure I could pick out like a bison versus like a, a beef burger. Um, just just raw, maybe I would be able to pick that out. But when they cook it. I'm not, it's not a distinctive flavor to me. So like the fact that she did undercook or at least uh, she didn't just char this thing, you could probably pick out that flavor, that bison uniqueness to it. So yet Gabe and Don in the top with Shodan Sarah, Shodan Sarah, of course they win. They're back uh, after, like you said, after a little bit of a, um, you know, a slump here, they're back. And the other thing I want to talk real quick about the top here is Kevin, Sarah reveals that she wants to do a, her dream job or her dream like bucket list thing is to do a boutique cannery. Kevin, isn't that the coolest thing? Like I would, I would very much love a Sarah inspired, uh, Sarah led boutique cannery. One of the coolest things, if you ever go to Portugal is in Lisbon, there is this, I mean, there's a ton of canneries. Like I, like if you're, I love sardines out of a tin, you know, the really good ones. I love all that like canned fish. I'm totally with her. And, and I'm also a design for so, like, you go to these canneries that, and they're all these beautifully colored and wrapped, you know, this fish with this oil, this fish with this mustard, and it's just fantastic. Like, like canned and tinned fish are just awesome. Uh, we all grew up kind of on, like, yeah, grocery market, tuna in a can, so you always associate it with that. Uh-uh. And, like, um, in, in Japan, there's great, like, tinned fish, too. It's just – it's I think it's a cool thing. I will invest – if she does it, I would love to, I will come up. I would love to work one summer at the cannery. That would be fun and hard work, but I am all about this ambition. You heard it here first. Kevin Arnovitz is now going to be a chief investor. I wouldn't go chief investor, but he's going to be an investor on the, on the boutique cannery from Sarah. I love it. Um, we made that happen here on, on pack your knives. Uh, so where do you want to go next here? Avishar and Chris. And then we'll get to Gabriel Nelson. Yeah, let's go there first. Sturgeon, that's a dinosaur, right? That's not a real, that, that's just a dinosaur thing. Like sturgeons are terrifying. They are. I was, by the way, I was much bigger than I thought a sturgeon was going to be. Like I was shocked. Huge. Huge. So Abishar is not going to win this competition, right? But I will say this. He's a guy you want on your team because he is so good at these textural items. Not even just the molecular gastronomy stuff with like the magic shell and the UFO, frozen UFO kind of thing. But like he like that is a man who can make a croquette. And he will make a good croquette. And it will be like he's very good at these accompaniments, these sort of one B where you still got the it's not just it's not like a side dish. It's 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 an essential component, but it is secondary to the main protein. Uh, and so he's very useful in these situations. I thought Chris made a tactical error. Gail Simmons said it herself. Grilling fish is one of the hardest things to do. I know in the health craze and the protein craze, we all think, oh, grilled fish. I'm going to throw some salmon on the grill. Yeah, it's got to be an incredibly fatty fish to be able to hold up. It is so easy to make bland. Um, you need a sauce with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I just don't know why you go for grilling a sturgeon unless you have a plan, be it a sauce, be it some smoke, whatever it is. 
But I thought that was he created, I think, a difficult situation. By the way, it was still a very good dish. I just think that, you know, you you, you deliberately chose a method which makes the fish taste less interesting. Exactly. That's the thing with grilling fish. It's healthy. It's lovely. It never tastes as good as it does in other methods. Yeah, and they get knocked for that where the fact that they didn't have enough sauce here, um, not enough seasoning. And it just goes right to the issue of choosing to grill that sturgeon. But look – this wasn't a bad dish. No. Like they said, Avishar and Chris had a pretty good dish like the other ones. But if there was going to be a knock on them, it was that the sturgeon and the, the entire dish itself needed more of the sauce that they had put on the plate, more flavor. And that's just the risk you have with a grilled sturgeon um, that, that Chris decided to do that. Uh, what about Gabriel and Nelson? Because they said they said here on this episode that they were all pretty good at dishes, that someone's getting sent home for – uh, a, a good dish. And I think if you looked at the, the board, you got Shoda and Sarah, you got Don and Gabe, you had Avishar and Chris, Maria and Byron. I'm looking at Gabriel and, and Nelson and saying, it's going to be tough for those guys to to come out because I think Nelson and Gabriel in terms of personalities, I, I, I don't see a strong like conviction from, from, from Nelson, but I do see it from Gabriel and I could see that going sideways. It didn't really combust, right? It didn't fall apart. But if I was going to do a power rankings before this episode or before we saw the actual cooking, they would be in the bottom and they do go to the bottom uh, for their dish, which was the antelope and steelhead trout. It's relatively simple, right? There were 10 proteins in this challenge. Eight were executed beautifully. One, another one, the sturgeon, yeah, a little under season, but presumably cooked fine enough, uh, just boring. And then there was the trout, and the trout wasn't. And I, Gabriel framed it very well. Like you, at this point, they had a choice to make late in the competition when they were sort of up against it. Do you serve a trout that is is well cooked but without the crispy skin, but but, or do you say you'll take the crispy skin, but you're going to have an overcooked, possibly even hammered fish? And they chose the latter. I guess you have to. It is all about the crispy skin, especially if you're calling it crispy skin trout, steelhead trout. And, and that was it. I mean, that was why they went home. They execute the trout. I, I'm sure Chris and Abishar are having, you know, a very sad uh, t- uh, last chance kitchen because they would have cooked a very good dish as these guys did and just just gone home. But they had the weak, the weakest protein of the tent. I think I might go the opposite. I think even though you have the crispy skin in there in the in the naming of the dish or the at least you're presenting it that way, I would rather err on that side of of making sure you cook the the meat right correctly rather than focusing on the crispiness of the skin. I think that's less of an error is having somewhat if it's even soggy skin, you can at least say, you know what, I focused on getting the meat temperature, the meat cooked properly. And yes, I did not hit it on the mark on the crispy skin, but uh, I just wanted to make sure that that wasn't a dry piece of meat. So they get sent home, Gabriel and Nelson. I don't think either of us, Kevin, were surprised by that, that they were the ones to go home. No, certainly not in the assembly of the team. And, and I'm with you, by the way. I, I eat plenty of fish that doesn't have crispy skin and I enjoy it. I, I would never trade. And I and clearly these chefs, and you, you saw Dawn with Jamie early on, like the fact that, I mean, she was outraged in the first episode that Jamie would sauce a crispy skin. Um, and so I know chefs tend to sort of fetishize the crispy skin, but I will happily eat because I hate overcooked fish, Tom. I hate overcooked chicken. I hate overcooked any meat. Um, I will happily say, eh, all right, the skin's not 
crisp, but I really enjoy this six to eight ounces of fish than mm-hmm. just eat through just a ugh, overcooked fish is the worst. Um, so I'm with you, but I think there's something about the crispy skin that demonstrates technique that chefs can't get away from that. Like the, the fact that that was more important to them than actually, you know, a mildly uh, seared and well seared piece of fish is interesting. You know, we talk a lot about middle Maria and how she isn't finishing in the top. She's not finishing in the bottom. She's just, you know, Goldilocks right in the medium, right? Um, mid- medium Maria, middle Maria. But she is someone who I think is kind of like the soul of this season where she's clearly more affected emotionally to a lot of these um, these competitions. And she gives this like speech to Gabriel as he's leaving and he's – she's giving like this this almost a eulogy on the show and she says to Gabriel you're a perfect lovely asshole and I do love you and they both were like moved to tears by that and I love I just love Maria and the way that she has kind of I don't know she just seems to be the soul of this season where uh I I I think when she isn't performing at the top or bottom, we might be kind of discrediting her a little bit. But I think that's what the beauty of this show is, is even if you aren't Shoda and just dominating this competition with Sarah, like I just love having Maria around. And um, I, I, I love that moment where Tom Colicchio comes out and says, up oh, curveball, last chance kitchen. You guys are going to go, Gabriel and Nelson are going to go right now. But Kevin, Kevin, the way we're doing this season of Pack Your Knives. We are getting this show uh, a little bit early, so we're not able to analyze the most up-to-date Last Chance Kitchen. So we have to go back and talk about Kiki versus Jamie, who are going to be fighting for a chance to get into the competition. Breaking news, the winner of the next Last Chance Kitchen after Kiki and and Jamie, they're going to be facing off the, the loser, or I guess the winner, I should say, of that loser's bracket of Nelson and Gabriel. So this is going to be huge coming up here. And we get to see Kiki and Jamie face off in a chicken challenge. Right. And I still have never totally understood the rules. <laughs> and I'm usually pretty good at this where they draft or they don't draft like they mutually one by one sort of pick an, a part of the chicken that they are committing themselves to working with, right? And so it's a game of chicken. Yeah, I thought they were like drafting them for themselves, right? and then I saw that they were both using the ingredients, and then oh, it clicked. Okay, so it first goes. Ch- Jamie goes with chicken liver, Kiki oysters, chicken skin for Jamie, and then ch- uh, chicken feet. Kiki goes with the chicken feet, and everyone in the crowd, the peanut gallery, goes, "Whoa, you did the chicken feet!" Old move. Then they go with the chicken thigh and Kiki taps out. She says, look, I don't want I don't want six ingredients for this quick fire. And then 25 minutes and they have a chance to go lower. But look, if you're going to do those feet, you need time for them to braise and get tender. And you don't have you can't you can't do that in 25 minutes. So it was kind of a little really funny decision by Kiki to go with the feet. But um, they do two completely different dishes. Right. I mean, Kiki is going to prove that she can she can fry up some chicken. And she does beautifully by all accounts. Uh, certainly a Tom's account and, and has the slaw. Whereas, you know, Jamie goes with something that's much more her, right? I mean, essentially, I, what would you call it? It was a beautiful kind of like a chicken. You know, pe- it was I, a what, soup. It was like yeah, almost like was, a brothy um, soup, chicken soup with, with the baguette. Yeah. Right. And then, and it kind of does this extra thing where in addition to kind of the, the featured uh, chicken, she uses the Liver is sort of with, the, with, with for a crouton, where she spreads the liver on the toast as the thing you kind of dip your dip in your soup. So it was just a great looking dish. I got to tell you, it looked fantastic. 
I know they might have to like kind of gin up some of the drama here and say like it was a close one. But to me, what looking at the two dishes and seeing how they prepared it, like I thought Jamie was going to win this one in a landslide. And she does win and Kiki has to go home uh, to, to, to the peanut gallery there in Last Chance Kitchen. Kiki, look, the trade we made in earlier in this season, it was Dawn and Kiki for uh, Maria and Brittany. Okay. I, um, I didn't see Kiki losing this poorly after that trade. I think she might've given you minus five points or, or six points on the total net net. But I'll tell you what, by the fact you got Dawn in that trade, that is a great trade for you. Am I right that Dawn's total points, 23 for me, but seven for you puts her at 30 total for the competition Am I right that she is second only to Shota? No, she's fourth. Gabe's got 31 total because on the scoreboard that we, the score sheet here, we're not including the first, the first episode. I do have a total leaderboard here. Shota has 33 points in hours, but then gets the five additional from the first episode, which we're not counting to our fantasy league. So Shota has 38, Sarah has 37, Gabe has 31, and Don has 30. That's fascinating. To get like the total points earned, irrespective of what it's done for us, including week one. So if we're tearing this out, it's clearly Shota and Sarah's competition here. 38 and 37 for Shota and Sarah. Then you have just a little smidge down below Gabe and Don at 31 and 30. And then there's the gigantic moat of a tier. It is Byron at 16. Gabriel at 16. So Gabriel, I don't know what's going to happen here in Last Chance Kitchen. Again, I don't know. Um, But before we watch that next week and learn about if he's coming back into the competition, it is clear there is a top four here. Shota, Sarah, Gabe, and Don. And then the rest of the competitions, Byron at 16, Gabriel at 16, Avishar at 15, Chris at 14, and Maria at 13. So it is very clear that there has been a separation of four chefs up until this episode, uh, through through this episode of Shoda, Sarah, Gabe, and Don, and you have three of them. Yeah, and, and, and again, I'm feeling really, I'm just, I'm loving watching Don cook. And it was Don on me, no pun intended. There are only four chefs in the competition who have not finished low in the elimination challenge. Sarah, Don, Gabe, and oddly, Shoda has finished in the low. Maria. Maria has not finished low. Maria in the middle has not turned out too many clumpers. I had some really unappetizing quick fires. I thought her lettuce leaf thing looked just sort of sad this week. But she has not, really not fumbled at all in, in, the, in, the, in the big rounds. So uh, she's kind of hanging around, Tom, hanging around. Kevin, I'm glad you brought that up. Does anyone like a lettuce wrap? I do because I'm a carbophobe in certain cases. And if I really want to do like a like a good – like a, if I just want like a yummy protein, like sometimes that what you would call Pan Asian places, like there is a really yummy, yummy chicken, kind of diced chicken, and you can just wrap it in a leaf and you get no guilt whatsoever. It's not a bad conductor for savory proteins when you want to eat guilt free. I don't know. It just seems like a stress bomb. Oh, I am, I'm a messy eater already, though. Like I eat with my. I mean, I'm not someone who is uptight about looking ridiculous eating things. Like I just don't care. You know how I've been on my rant about cutlery being the most overrated sort of tradition in in, in culinary world. Like I, I just think we should all eat with our hands everything. 
Um, so I'm not someone uptight about that. Yeah, just, you know, I'd, I'd rather just go, there, lettuce isn't really additive in the dish other than just being a, a vessel. But like Korean barbecue, you get the bean paste in there and you kind of, and you have the big head, you know, the big leaf of romaine and then you put your, uh, you know, you, you put your grilled garlic with the meat and you wrap it all up and then you go like that's primal and good and guilt free. Yeah. It's a great keto hack. I'm just, I'm just not a huge fan of lettuce. Like when I saw that, I was like, yep, not for me, but she's on my team. So I got to be for it. Actually, Maria, great decision there. Um, I'm, I'm all about middle Maria here. Um, Kevin, look, we've got, We've got Byron. I mean, we've got Byron, Avishar, Chris, Maria, um, the, the top four. We've got, you know, double elimination here, which I, I don't think you would have a strong argument to say that Gabriel and, and Nelson, certainly by the virtue of of Malarkey's power rankings, that they're at the bottom of this competition, remaining in this competition. Um We've just like last year in, in Top Chef All Stars, I kind of feel like we're at the we, we've got some of the lower competitors here weeded out and now we've just got the dream team going so i'm really excited about what we have coming forward here with the uh restaurant wars just around the corner oh can't wait for restaurant wars closing thoughts tom jamie i really hope you win on last chance kitchen again and see you back in the competition we need some of that humor i want to see more of your food I'm rooting, Kevin, for Jamie to enter back into the competition over both of my contestants, Nelson and Gabriel. I'm rooting for Jamie. For Tom Havistro, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. 